Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. we start can we just bow our heads and I just like to pray Lord I just thank you for your word and Lord I just pray this morning that it has a a deep impact in our minds in our soul in our spirits Lord and I just pray that whatever you want to speak to us today that it does something deep within us and that we can turn to you in everything that we We look to you in trust and in faith for all that you have for us. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Over the last few weeks and months, um, we've been learning about the importance and the need for the cross and the crown. Um, And we've described this in terms of Jesus' descent from heaven as God in earthly form. We've uh, described his death for our sins his resurrection and creating a way back to God and reconciling us back to him. And you know, this morning I woke up with a song and it's a theme that that really has been demonstrated even as we've been worshipping God this morning. It's the old song that goes, he came from heaven to earth to show the way. You know that one? From From the earth to the cross, our debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. And we hear all of that this morning. And actually, for me, it's a little bit like what happens next. You know, we're we're all living um, in the light of Jesus's ascent back to heaven. But what does that mean for us who are left back on earth? And obviously, we're entering into a time at the moment which is all about um, his second coming. And really what I want to talk to us about this morning, and I'll I'll elaborate it a little bit more as we go along, is what kind of people ought we to be in the light of his return? So a few weeks ago, Rich um, Jones brought us an illustration um, about seeing everything we do through the lens of the cross. Um, And more recently, we've been looking up and we've received a word as a church about stepping up a gear and moving um, from maintenance mode into mission mode. And that was a wonderful word that uh, David shared, not only in Bible Week, but he shared it with us as a church. And really, that's what it's all about. It's about mission mode. Um, Everything we see and do must be through the lens of mission. Um, And I'm really excited this morning about the word that God has given me to bring to you. Um, When I was 12 years old, I noticed that I wasn't actually seeing very well. Um, And I uh, was kind of giving hints to my parents that um, I I can't see very well. And as you can probably see, I wear spectacles. Um, And one day, my my parents actually thought I just wanted to be cool. Um, They thought I only wanted to to wear glasses to be like other people in my class. Um, And eventually, they took me to the the opticians um, and realized I was actually very short-sighted. Um, and what's the relevance? Well, if you wear glasses, you've, you've all been through the process of vanity, I suppose, in the shop, trying on glasses, the frames, taking them off, trying something else, asking your spouse or your friend if you look okay, and, and all that sort of stuff. 
But actually, it's, it, it's all about trying to find the, find the right frame that you're happy with. Yeah. Um, and really, uh, the, the point I'm trying to make is that lenses are great, but without a frame, they're useless. Yeah. Um, today, I'm going to try and help us view um, the world through the lens of mission um, by using God's method of choosing the frame. Okay? Um, in other words, I'm going to share the framework that we all need um, in our lives to help support the lens um, and are going to help us move forward in our role to play in the mission. Okay. So to start, a scripture, if you'd all turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 for me. It's great to hear the word of God. There's going to be a lot of word of God this morning. Um, you have to remember that when Peter wrote this, uh, he wrote it about 66 AD, and he really wrote it as a reminder to those who were drifting from the truth. Um, really, you could, you could say he wrote it for those who were being distracted um, by the, the sways of life. Um, and I just want to, right at the very outset, just remind us of of trusting God for what he has plans for us in our life in the context of this. So from chapter 3. First, I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. This will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, didn't he? Then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember... Everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forgot that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth up from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the world with a mighty flood. And God has also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment when ungodly people will perish." But you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised a world where everyone is right with God. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. And remember, the Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. I want to use these verses in particular to explain um, how we are meant to live our lives whilst we are here on this earth. Verse 11 says, what go holy, godly lives should you be living? And many other versions, um, including the NIV, I think says, what kind of people ought you to be? 
And I'm going to use the analogy of the spectacles frame to help us understand what needs to be within our nature and our character in order to understand and pursue the mission of God that he has for us, reaching out to everything God has planned for us. I don't want to stand here and just preach theory and a wonderful word that I've spent time studying. Um, I only want to speak to you about what I'm actually doing myself. Firstly, we should be a people of purpose. You're going to see lots of words appear in the background as I start to speak. Verse 9 reveals God's purpose for our lives. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. When I said at the beginning the whole thing about it's good to know that Jesus came down and why he came down and he ascended to heaven, but it really is the what happens next. And what are we supposed to be doing in the light of his return? And, and that really challenges me. Um, because the time between now and Jesus' return is not to measure how successful I can be. It's actually nothing to do with selfish ambition or, or my own desires. It's got everything to do with God's mission for seeing the lost saved. I, I recently shared with the youth um, about how to be happy in life. And I shared with them that um, a, a study that asked people how happy they were in life only 20% of people were happy with their life. This is grown-ups, this is adults. 80% of people are unhappy with their life. Um, I also spoke to them about an article um, that says how to find your happiness in life. And how happiness in life is actually intricately linked to knowing what your purpose in life is. So in essence, we can, if we know what our purpose in life is, we can be happy with life. Um, some of you may have seen this video clip before, but I just want to show you a short two-minute um, video clip that asks a selection of people, what is your purpose in life? Do you feel like life has a purpose? I do. I think so. I'm here to make people happy and smile. Educate and entertain. To marry my woman. Being a mother to my two children. Different times in your life, you have different purposes. Spiritually, emotionally. Personal, professional. I think I'm still trying to figure that out, my purpose. My challenge sometimes can be figuring out which one I want to care about most today. I'm only 14, so I don't really know what my purpose is at the moment. Still looking though. I think most people equate their purpose to monetary ambitions. There's something deeper than, you know, what kind of car you drive and how nice you look. I love to inspire, motivate, and encourage people. Whenever I can to be a mentor. Being available to help someone in their journey. Because I feel like there are a lot of people in this world that are lost and don't have anyone there for them. The purpose of your life is sort of defined by your actions and by the manner in which you've lived. I'm here to help inspire other people to live life to their fullest. Like, I'm meant to be nice with everyone. Open a world to empathy. At this point in my life, I'm feeling like, who knows? And as I'm getting older, I'm definitely trying to figure out more and more. Because there are many people whose career, and how they make a living, where their passion is, and what they're good at is actually 
their job. I feel like I have a purpose in life because I just want to keep on moving forward. Always learning, growing. I think it's just that journey and the curiosity about life. Do what you're passionate about. Don't just get caught up in that sort of, you know, hamster wheel of getting by. I really love animals. Writing, just storytelling. To share my gifts and talents with other people. Figure out how I can live to be at least 110. Making people laugh and, and having fun. I believe my purpose is to have children. And I'm very excited for that. The purpose of life is to experience it. Enjoy opportunities and also recognize that there's gonna be hills and valleys. Take advantage of being alive. Exchange as much love as you can while you're here. To live the best life you can with a as most enthusiasm as you can so that other people will benefit by your having lived. The last lady to speak said, so that other people can benefit by you having lived. And this isn't even a Christian video. Most of the people in this clip are actually giving their opinion of who they will become. That's ambition. And ambition is absolutely fine. Raising the bar in what you do and what you want to do and achieving high, those are all great things and they're absolutely fine. But when things start to become selfish ambition, that's all about me. It pushes God's purpose out of your life. And that's really, as I'm trying to say, is the mission field. God's purpose must not be contaminated with selfish ambition. Last year, I resigned from a senior leadership role in a business. And in reality, you could have looked at me and said I had reached the pinnacle of my career. But I asked the question, what do I want to be remembered for? What is my purpose in life? And you know, it wasn't for being a great doctor or a great leader um, I wanted God to look at me and say, you know, Richard, you serve the, my purpose in your generation. Yeah. I resigned because I wanted something to change. My ideals and my focus was more about me rather than God. And God took me on a journey where I realized it's all about him. Yeah. And that is a journey of faith, folks. You know, I'm not saying it's just easy. You have to trust him in every circumstance. Yeah. This is our purpose he does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. God's mission for us, should you choose to accept it, is to share the good news, his gospel with everyone we meet. What should you be using? We should be using every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So what kind of people ought we to be? We should be a people of purpose, and we are a people on display. In my workplace, everyone knows me as reliable, trustworthy, a non-gossiper, a non-swearer, all of those things. But if people just see me as a nice person, I achieve absolutely nothing. If people understand that my character is because I have a faith and a belief in Jesus Christ... I want them to see Jesus in my character rather than just me. Yeah, right. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, it's a scripture familiar to all of us. You don't, don't turn to it just yet. It says, for you are a chosen people. That's you. Yeah. You are a chosen people. Yeah. You are royal priests, a holy nation, 
God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 12. Since this new covenant gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory fading away. But the people's minds were hardened. And even to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, a veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, he gives freedom. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And and as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. J.B. Phillips, who is another Bible scholar who wrote a, a different version and puts that last phrase this way, as the spirit, um, but all of us who are Christians have no veils on our faces, but reflect like mirrors the glory of the Lord. But all of us who are Christians have no veils on our faces, but reflect like mirrors the glory of the Lord. Every year, the Mona Lisa in the Louvre Museum in Paris has around 6 million visitors. The main reason for visiting her, apparently, is the smile. And you know, guys, I can smile. (laughs) I love smiling. I'm on display for the whole world to see. I don't mean it arrogantly, but people don't have to come into a museum to see me. I am on display for all of the world to see. I am on display wherever I go, and you are all on display wherever you go. Just think about it. What Paul writes that our face reflects like mirrors the glory of the Lord. Wow. We, uh, Annie and I, are currently reaching out to an older couple who spend a lot of time with us. And when we were talking to them recently, uh, the man was asking of proof that Christ exists. And I said, you're looking at proof. Um, if you want to see Jesus then all you have to do, I said to him, was you just have to look at what Jesus has done in my life. He is amazing. 1 John 4, 17 says, in this world, we are like Jesus. We are as he is in the world. We we can be and we are Jesus to our friends. God has made us wonderful in every way. And when our friends or our work colleagues are struggling They see you, and that keeps them secure. What kind of people ought we to be? A people of purpose, a people on display, and a people of togetherness. 
We're a people of togetherness. There is probably no greater illustration of togetherness than of a husband and a wife. In Matthew 19 and Mark 10, we hear the phrase that's often read out in wedding ceremonies. What God has joined together, let no one ever separate. So separation is really the opposite of togetherness. And as Christians, we need to learn to live together and not separate from one another. Not just within a marriage, but with each other. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. It says this, We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And when the, on the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So what instructions does the Bible give us to help us to live together? Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. This is one of my wife's favorite uh, Bible studies. It's really simple, and I like simplicity. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21 to 25 says this. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's people, let us go right into the presence of God with true hearts, fully trusting him. For our evil consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hopes that we say we have, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. It's a passage of let us's, not let me, let us. And us means together. Let us go right into the presence of God together. Let us tightly hold to the hope that, that we affirm. Let us think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, and let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord is drawing near. You all know that I love the book of Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 4, again it's a familiar verse because it's said so frequently in this particular um, congregation Verse 16 says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Together here is a word meaning joined closely together. It also means individual parts framed together in one building. It also means members of his body. We were very fortunate uh, a couple of months ago to visit uh, the country of Zambia, a beautiful country with beautiful people. 
On the Sunday, we met in a church that took us an hour and a half off-road to get to. And a lot of the people who were meeting there had, had literally walked to get to that meeting. And they had walked in excess of 10 kilometers through the bush in the middle of Africa to get to the Sunday morning meeting. But they wanted to be together. They wanted to meet together. They were closely joined together. Meeting together in life groups, uh, for coffee, for uh, a chat over the phone, or whatever it may be, it's so important in order for us to grow. You know, we need each other. Whether we like it or not, we need each other. The next point I want to make is that we are a people who are holy. From the 2 Peter 3 scripture at the beginning, we heard what holy and godly people and lives should you be living. And I just want to expand on these a little. I am not a Greek scholar, okay? But I am going to use some Greek words. Um, The Greek word for holy is hagios. I'm not saying it to boast because haven't I been great in my study? I'm doing it because I want to understand the context of the words that are being used in the Bible. And it's a word with a number of significant meanings. It's a place sacred to God, which is not to be disrespected or profaned. Think of ourselves when we think of that scripture. In Acts 7, when Stephen is addressing the high council, he uses this word when describing Moses, hearing the Lord say to him, take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. The word holy is used when describing the city and the temple. And last week, David shared with us the four images of restoration, the bride, the city, the temple of God, and the fullness of God. He used the scripture in Revelation 21, verse 2, which says, And I saw the holy Hagios city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for a husband. 1 Corinthians says, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? That's a wonderful picture, isn't it? God will bring ruin upon anyone who ruins this temple. For God's temple is holy, Hagios, and you Christians are that temple. That's not me adding that bit on the end. That's what the scripture says. You Christians are that temple. Hagios, holy. We've already seen in Ephesians 2 where it says, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy Hagios temple for the Lord. There is absolutely so much more that I could share on that particular word. But very quickly, it also means to be set apart for God, as it were, exclusively his. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? We've been prepared for God with solemn right, pure and clean. And a lot of us should know the scripture in Ephesians 5 when it's talking of Christ, saying... He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, to be holy, hagios, and without 
fault. Pure, it means pure and sinless and upright and holy. It's got so many meanings, this word. In 1 Peter 1, chapter, uh, 1 Peter 1, verse uh, 15 to 16, it says this about the word hagios. But you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be his children, is holy. That's an incredible standard to match up to. For he himself has said, you must be holy because I am holy. Please do not think that I am perfect. I am not perfect. But when I hear the word hagios in the context of who I should be, I am completely humbled. It's a place, me, I am a place sacred to God, which is not to be disrespected. I am a holy city together with you, a a, a holy temple, set apart, pure and clean, upright and holy. Wow! That's who I am. That's who you are. What kind of people ought we to be? A people of purpose? A people on display? A people of togetherness? A people who are holy? And a people who are godly? Again, I'm not going to um, try to impress you with my Greek New Testament uh, knowledge, but the Hebrew word for godly is eusebia, um, or eusebia. It depends where you are in the country, I suppose. But um, It's a word which means pious and dutiful and devout towards God. Uh, E-U-S-E-B-E-I-A. It's okay. Uh, It's a word which really means having a reverent awe and a fear of God. It's a word which really means that you're serious with God and you're committed to him in all you do. That's my reflection in terms of how I see what godliness means. For me, it means I'm genuine about my faith with others. It means I won't compromise my faith to fit in. It means that I fear God and I don't fear man. A lot of us will know the the scripture in Proverbs 29, verse 25, which says, The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. The message puts it this way. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. The fear of human opinion disables you. Trusting in God protects you from that. Don't be somebody you're not called to be. Don't compromise your belief. Show God that he is first in your life by being a godly person, devoutly committed to him. Finally, in this framework of what kind of people ought we to be, we should be a people of power. Luke speaks of Jesus' words in Acts 1, verse 8, that says, But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. There's mission again, folks. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. If anybody here doubts their own ability to fulfill God's purpose in your life, find the Holy Spirit, please. If you're not baptized in the Spirit, 
Let us pray for you. Yeah. If, you're, if you are baptized in the Spirit, move in power and tell, the peop- tell everybody you meet about Jesus everywhere you go. Many of you will probably know that Luke uses a word here similar to dynamite. And through the Holy Spirit, we can shake down buildings and know that we are not only human, we share in his divine nature. Hang on, Richard. Did you just say we share in his divine nature? Absolutely. Turn with me to 2 Peter 1. I just want you to understand, as I said at the beginning, the context of Peter writing his second letter because he was aware of people who were just completely distracted by all the challenges that life throws at them. And whether that be be 66 AD or whether that be 2017, actually, we're all distracted by things in life. We all have challenges. You can turn to the scripture, but actually what I'd like you to do is to close your eyes and concentrate just for a minute, okay? I want, to, I want to say it, and I want to let it speak deep into your heart and your spirit, as I said at the beginning. So just close your eyes and, and listen to this, because this summarizes everything I want to say. It's a chunky bit of scripture, but it's a really, really important thing. As we know Jesus better... His divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. He has called us to receive his own glory and goodness. And by that same mighty power, he has given all of us his rich and wonderful promises. He has promised that you will escape the decadence all around you caused by evil desires and that you will share in his divine nature. So make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Knowing God better leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance. And patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians. And finally, you will grow to have a genuine love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more you will become productive and useful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop these virtues are blind or at least very short-sighted. They have already forgotten that God has cleansed them from their old life of sin. So, dear brothers and sisters... Work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Doing this, you will never stumble or fall away. And God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's a recipe for success, isn't it? Our short time on this earth has a purpose. It's the mission field. The kind of people we ought to be, our nature, our character, and our behavior around others has the potential to shine light where there is darkness, feed the hungry, be a signpost to the lost, all of those things. So behind me, I hope you can now see the words I have used making up a spectacle frame. 
We're people of purpose. We're people on display. We're people of togetherness. We are people who are holy and godly. We are people of power. The frame is what we need to be in place in our own lives in order to see through the lens of mission in the light of his return. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.